Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Uh, for those of you that have, uh, this is maybe your first time with us and you're wondering why uh, I had just had the guitar and now I'm here, um, our worship uh, and associate pastor Aaron Zavala has been on paternity leave. And I am looking out the back door and I actually see him and his wife and their little son, Aiden, here. So we're grateful uh, for them and the time they've had to, to connect with their son. Uh, in this season that we're in, Advent season, um, we're walking through uh, a theme from Advent, which is really prominent in scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the theme is peace. Um, how many of you grew up celebrating Advent as like a kind of a tradition in your so A handful of you. Uh, Lutheran Catholic? Lutheran? Yeah. So typically, Advent is, uh, is kind of a, uh, a historic um, mainline type of tradition that a lot of evangelical churches over the years uh, have kind of got away from. Um, one of the reasons that we celebrate it as a church, or we, we, we use it as a tool in this season as a church, is because we feel like it's a great way to intentionally make Jesus the center and to challenge us, not just on Sundays, but in our homes, on how to keep Jesus the center. I told this, I've told this story before, but when we, my wife and I had our firstborn son, Jude, um, we were living in California at the time, and he had aunts and uncles and cousins um, spread out all over the place, and he was the first grandson, uh, grandkid in my side of the family, and I'm one of six kids. So a big family on both sides, and I remember he was probably two or three years old, we were looking at the, underneath the tree on Christmas Day, and there was a mountain of presents for him. <laughs> and we also had stockings, right? And so I remember we said, okay, well, you know, little, little two-year-old Jude, we're going to start with the stockings, then we'll get to the presents. He pulled out one little car from the stocking, and he was stoked. Immediately, he didn't care about anything else, and he just started playing with that car. And I remember 10 minutes later, my wife and I looking at it ourselves, and we're like, this is going to be a long day. <laughs> because he's got to get through all of those. And while, while that's certainly a part of, of the Christmas tradition that we don't diminish, we realized if, if we allow that, if we allow the whole purpose of Christmas to be about a mountain of gifts, then no matter how hard we try to bring it back to Jesus, it's going to fail. Uh, and so we, as a family, decided, like, let's intentionally now build in some practices throughout the month leading up to Christmas that, that solidify that, that make Jesus the center. Uh, as a church, for the last five years, we've also been doing this. So on our website, you'll find a, a page that says Advent. Underneath that, there's a bunch of resources that you can use as an individual or in your homes um, that will, uh, maybe some new traditions even to start from, from that, um, those resources. And so we just encourage you in this season to not get so swept up in, in all of the things that we don't make Jesus the center. Amen? Okay, so last week, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Yeah. Isaiah 9 yeah. um, speaks to this, and the word peace is so subjective for many of us. Many of us, when we think of peace, we think just of rest, of quiet, of the absence of conflict. But as we talked about last week, the, the concept of peace really is, comes from this Hebrew word, shalom, shalom. And so whenever we see the word peace in the Bible, it means a, a holistic picture of peace, and it includes things like prosperity, like you have what you need, 
well-being, health, wholeness, safety. And so when these things are in place, this is a whole picture of being like integrated and content with what you have and at rest and at peace. And in our culture, we have, we desire, everybody desires all of these things. But the thing is, oftentimes what we desire is still not enough. And we're trying to manufacture peace. We're trying to attain peace. I remember, you know, when I first started working and I was making money, I thought, wow, this is great. I wish I could just make a little bit more. And a little bit more and a little bit. So our definitions of peace sometimes move, don't they? We think, oh, prosperity, that will give me peace. It's never enough. Well-being, health, wholeness, all of these things, they shift and change. But all of these things, when we do have them, they contribute to this idea of Shalom. So we talked about last week how Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the one that provides these things for us, not just in an outward sense, but in an inward sense. What about when we don't feel them? What about when chaos is all around us? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Peace on earth, chaos conquered. When you hear the word chaos, what comes to mind? Maybe war. There's a war going on in Ukraine right now. Maybe natural disasters. When a natural disaster strikes and chaos happens. Uh, several years ago, uh, a family friend of ours, they lived on the big island of Hawaii, and there was a volcanic eruption that eventually the lava met, met his house, and his house is no more. His house is actually right on the edge of a little pool of ocean water, and that pool of ocean water is no more. <laughs> it filled in with lava. Chaos, right, for natural disaster. When you think of chaos, maybe you think about about crime in our streets and what's happening in so many of our cities around the world. What about personally? When you think of chaos, for you personally, maybe it's chaos in your health, chaos in your relationships, or just the feeling of, of a chaotic home. My wife and I have been foster parents for seven years, and many of the children that are placed in our home have come out, well, I'd say all of the children <laughs> placed in our home come out of some sort of chaotic background. Our very first foster daughter, she was two years old, two, almost two and a half, and I remember when she came into our home, she was like a little tornado. She just couldn't sit still, and she had to, she had to continually move. She had to continually pull things off the shelves and get in trouble. And I remember we felt like we were just, like we had a wild cat in our room. And she came, the reason she was that way is because she came out of chaos. She came out of a, a home where both mother and father routinely attacked each other physically. Not just one, but both. Uh, she came out of a home where, where drugs and alcohol were usually the, the, the tipping point in that chaos in her home. So she, at two years old, this is all she had ever known was chaos. And so what she was manifesting was her upbringing, her environment that she was raised in. So my wife and I were going, okay, how do we, how do we calm this little girl? How do we bring her peace? And it, for those of you that have, have been, uh, worked with adoption or foster care, you know that there's two things that are really helpful. High nurture and high structure for kids that have been in chaotic environments. You love them immensely. And you provide boundaries and structures. And eventually those boundaries and structures, they, while they're pushed back against horrifically <laughs> initially, they become a, a, a sign of safety and comfort. Things won't change. What they said will happen. How they've shown me love is still true. And it was amazing. Within weeks of this little girl being in our home, she began to be calm. 
And one of the signs, for the first time, I remember coming home and, and Jessica told me, she goes, she sat in one place and played with blocks for 10 minutes. 10 minutes! <laughs> and it was this victory, right? Because she felt safe. Chaos had been overcome in her life and now she knew peace. She began to know peace. There's a radical transformation that happened in her life. So some of you maybe grew up in a home like that. You grew up in, in a chaotic home and you... You, that chaos has manifested itself in your life. But, but what about if the opposite was true? What about people who have a foundation of peace, of stability? What about for people who, for most of their lives, they've experienced provision and stability and safety and healthy relationships? What would that look like? Well, the story of humanity actually starts in just that kind of place. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. The story of humanity starts in a, in a place of peace and security. In the preceding verses of Genesis chapter 1, God has created everything that there is to be. And he's created, in that, as part of that creation, on one of the last days, he created us. He created humans. Verse 28 says, God blessed them, humans, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God has done what? He's provided for them what they need. Then God continues and he says, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Say very good with me. Very good. We're gonna come back to that phrase. Very good in the beginning. Perfect harmony. Right relationship with God and with each other and even with the animals on the earth today. Everything humanity needed was right there. But then, maybe everything they needed wasn't right there. That's where the question starts, right? Maybe God isn't enough. Maybe what he's said he will give me isn't true. Maybe God isn't trustworthy. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And then the serpent comes along and he says, did God really say? Can you really trust him? And so what was once supposed to be a, a place of high nurture and high structure, of, of high love, of safety and security, of total integration, of healthy relationships with God and with man, it becomes, instead of integrated, it becomes disintegrated as sin shattered those relationships with God, with his creation, with everything. And so we feel this today, the effects of this sin. Instead of health, we have sickness. Instead of provision, we have poverty. Instead of safety, there's danger. Instead of right relationships, we have brokenness. This is the effect of sin, chaos. And this chaos, it ripples through generations. Some of the kids that we've taken care of, we've heard the story of their parents. And what their parents have said is, the way that I've, what got my kid out of my care is what got me out of my parents' care. 
I was in the foster care system as well. And not only that, my mom endured this. And chances are her mom endured something. Sin has this ripple effect in humanity. Now, sometimes we get swept up in the chaos by the sins of others, but sometimes we create our own chaos as well. And this often happens because we believe two lies. One is God isn't enough. And then the other one is what God has given me isn't enough. Think about that for a minute. God isn't enough. What would demonstrate that in our lives? What God's given me isn't enough. There's this famous football player. I won't name him, but you'll guess as I describe him. He's won more Super Bowls than any other football player on earth. He married a supermodel. He's got more money than his great-grandkids will ever be able to spend. But it wasn't enough. He had to keep coming back to the thing that, that spoke to his identity that gave him peace, which was what? Football. And the result of that now is divorce. And the result of that will be broken relationships with his kids. The result of that will be markers on their identity that they weren't enough. That football was what really mattered. So we believe this. God isn't enough, and what he's given me isn't enough. And sometimes we say, God, I know what you've given me is, is good, but, but I can't really follow you unless you give me a little bit more. I can't really do what you want me to do unless my conditions are met. And this is the, the product of chaos in our lives. The product of sin is we try and control as much as we can because when things are out of our control, that's all we know to do. And after sin entered the garden, the story of Scripture unfolds. And we see the promise of God, the faithfulness of God, the mighty works of God, demonstrating his desire for humanity to come back to him so that they can know perfect peace again. And at times, his people do respond to him, and they come back to him. And they attempt to, to reorder their lives, to come back in that high structure, high nurture relationship. And in those times, a, a type of restoration would happen. And just like sin ripples out, this right relationship begins to have its effect in society and throughout the whole community of God's people. Until once again, somebody goes, well, I don't know if this is enough. And then the relationship gets broken again. This is the story you see in the Old Testament over and over and over again. And so whenever the people of God turned away from God, their sin leads them back to chaos. And this is still true today. Whenever sin goes unchecked in our lives, chaos reigns. And we are powerless to maintain our own peace. We try, we come up with movements and, and new rules and new ways of doing things and new benchmarks in our bank accounts, whatever it would be. But we still can never quite find that peace. No amount of personal excess or new adventures can keep that chaos in check. Because the curse of sin, like a virus, rages in each person that's disconnected from God. So as we read last week, God knows this is an issue. And he knows we're powerless to defeat sin ourselves. And so, to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government, the weight of humanity will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is shalom prophesied and fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Now, I'm going to be honest. We, um, in church, we speak in a lot of abstracts, right? We say, Jesus does this, and God does that. And sometimes we go, yes, I, I want to agree with that, but how? <laughs> what does that look like tangibly in my life? How does Jesus make peace possible? And this is how Jesus does it. Jesus makes peace possible by reconciling us, by bringing us back to God in relationship. And Jesus does this by taking the consequences of sin, which is chaos and brokenness and destruction and war and famine, all of those consequences. He takes those, the the thing that disconnects us from the peace of God, and he says, the consequences of that sin, I took on myself. I put it on my shoulders. I didn't sin, but I put on the, the weight of consequences of sin on myself. And 2 Corinthians says this. It says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus, the Prince of Peace, stepped right into the chaos of humanity without any sin himself and paid the price of sin so that by faith we could be united to God and receive the blessing of peace. And so this is good news because it means no matter how chaotic your life has been up to this point, it can be transformed. Jesus can undo and overcome the chaos in your life. Show a picture of somebody. How many of you know who this is? <laughs> Mr. Rogers. Those of you who didn't, gr- didn't grow up in the United States, I'll just give a little preview here. Um, Mr. Rogers had a very famous television show uh, from before I was born to after I stopped watching it <laughs> for years and years. Mr. Rogers, in this television show, he had a, he had a goal to, to speak to the hearts of children in America. What he was seeing uh, in, in a lot of... Uh, uh, the, show, the programming in, in, on TV at that time was quick cut scenes and, and kind of silly antics that, uh, that would grab kids' attention, but he wanted to speak to, to truth. He wanted to allow kids to know how to share their feelings. And every day, Mr. Rogers did the same thing in the show. He walked in the door. He took off his jacket, put on a sweater, changed his shoes. I always wondered about that because we had to take our shoes off. But <laughs> His very voice was calming. His whole presence was peaceful. And so he was passionate about about these things. Mr. Rogers, I I think if I was to think of somebody who would be kind of a symbol of peace and of good works, it would be Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers passed away a few years ago. And do, do you know what his last words were before he passed? These were his last words to his wife. Am I a sheep? Now, some of you are like, what the heck's that about? (laughs) Mr. Rogers was a man of faith. He was actually an ordained Presbyterian minister. Much of the grounding of his TV show was based on his Christian faith. And so he'd been reading in in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus says at the end times, as he was nearing the end of his life, that God will separate the goats from the sheep. The sheep being those who belonged 
to Jesus and the goats being those that didn't. When I heard that he asked this question, it shocked me. Of all the people that should know that they're a sheep, didn't Mr. Rogers display this? I mean, his, his good works were on display every week. His life was fully integrated. There was no scandals with Mr. Rogers. Of all the people, shouldn't he have been able to rest and be confident the end of his famous life, he still wasn't sure. He had done what he could to push back the cultural chaos aimed at children. His famous words toward all people were always, I love you just the way you are. But in the end, he wasn't quite sure if his own good works were enough to be welcomed into the kingdom. Deep down, even Mr. Rogers had some unsettled chaos in his soul. After God created the world, do you know what he did? He rested. I can think no, of no better image than what peace accomplishes than rest. Some of you feel like this. Maybe, uh, uh, maybe on Saturday night after you've done all the chores that you need to do that weekend, you just relax and you go, it's, it's done. Like, I've done everything I needed to do today. Ah, rest. And this is what Jesus promises us to those that have placed their faith in us, he, he promises rest. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For those that receive it, the Prince of Peace restores that rest because, here's the key. I don't know if Mr. Rogers actually knew this fully. Jesus can restore this rest to us because he gives us his righteousness, not our righteousness. It's not that he enables us to do enough good works to save ourselves. It's that Jesus says, all of my goodness I give to you. And so when God looks at you, he sees my righteousness. And so it's because of that that we can truly rest. We can rest. This means you don't have to earn it. Do you know what righteousness means? This is a Christian word we throw out a lot. It means that you can ask God, are we good? And God will say, very good. Say that with me again. Very good. What did God say in the garden after he created everything? It was very good. What does God say to us when we become new creations in Jesus? We are very good. Boy, isn't it hard to believe that sometimes, though? Like, God, but do you know me? <laughs> do you know what thought I just thought this morning? <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what thing I did last week? Are you sure about that? And he says, yes, I'm sure, because it's what I did for you, not what you're doing for me. When I look at you, you are very good. And so the result of this righteousness before God is peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. And then there's a promise that he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So the promise of Jesus in the midst of our own chaos is that he gives us his righteousness and it's in that righteousness we 
can rest. Sure, there's work to do. Sure, there's missions to accomplish. Sure, there's assignments that God has for us, but we do those not to gain his approval or to hope that he still likes us tomorrow. We do those out of the outworking of the peace that he's given us. I'll tell you, I'm going to be honest as a pastor. Sometimes I take on so many things thinking that it is my job to save people. And it's not. I, can, I am powerless to do that. But what I do have the privilege to do is I have the opportunity to point people to Jesus and say, you want peace? Let me introduce you to the Prince of Peace. You want chaos overcome? Let me tell you about the righteousness of Jesus that he wants to give to you. And it's true that we are going to go, all of us will go through difficult periods in our life. And it's often not because we've even done anything to bring it on. But I want to say, when you are unable to rest, or you can't define or remember the last time you were at peace, this may be a sign that there's undealt with chaos in your heart. And God wants to show you. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to wait to be like Mr. Rogers at the end and be like, am I a sheep? Does God love me? God wants to show you right now where there might be areas in your life where you might be moving without him or not trusting him. He wants to show you these things not to heap guilt on you, but just like our foster daughter, to know that he loves you, that he's got boundaries and plans for you. He wants you to to rest in the righteousness that he has given to you through Jesus. Peace is an indicator it's an indicator that we're connected to God. Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I believe this morning, for each of us, it's something he wants to give us. And so if you want to receive the peace of God this morning, we're gonna, I'm going to ask that he would give it to you right now through prayer. So would you agree with me in prayer? And if you're ready to receive the peace of God, maybe just even just as a sign of that, even just open your hands as if you're about to receive a gift. And let's pray together. Lord, I admit, sometimes even just a moment of silence makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) Could that be a sign of chaos? Lord, I admit, sometimes I think I need to do something that you said you would do. Is that a sign of chaos? Lord, I, I admit, sometimes I take things on myself that I have no business taking on. Lord, wherever each of us may be this morning, we can trust in your word that you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because we trust you. And so I pray this morning for our church family that in the midst of what is certainly a busy season and while there are certainly challenges and trials in our lives, I pray that despite those things, we might put our trust in you. Then we might be able to say at the end of each evening, I have the righteousness of Christ. God, are we good? And you would say, very good. May we know that in such a deep way that we can be at rest even when we're working, Lord. That we could truly be at peace in our hearts. And so I pray that for us as a church. I pray as we as we leave here, this room, and we head downstairs to another room, 
that an expression of that righteousness would be this meal which we're about to have together. (laughs) It's you that brought us here. And we know we still have a ways to go, but that you are with us and we're grateful for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being true to your word. May we believe it. Make our hearts believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.